0: Let's begin with a word of prayer, so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scriptures to be be written for our, our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so start this timer here. There we go. All right, <laughs> Lamentations chapter 4. Who wants to get us started by reading chapter 4? It's only 22 verses. You want to stop at 11 and let someone else take the last 11? Go for it, but someone get us started off. <coughs> Lamentations 4.
1: How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, the holy stone lines scattered at the head of every street, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand, even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicious perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ashes. For the chastement of the daughter of my people has grown greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was... Overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than the sm- snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were made ruddy than coral. The beauty of their farm was like sapphire. Their, now their face is blacker than soot. They are not re- recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happy... Are were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of fruits of the field? The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children; they became their food during the destruction of my daughter of my people, of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath; he poured out his hot anger, and he knocked a fire. Kindled by fire and iron that consumed its foundation. Let's think of it twelve. The kings of the
2: earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Go away, you are unclean, people cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say, they can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor, the elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. People stopped us at every step, so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. They chased us over the mountains and lay in wait for us in the desert. The Lord's anointed The Lord's anointed our very life breath. We caught in was caught in their traps. We thought that under his shadow we would live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom. You who live in the land of us. But to you also the cup will be passed. You will be (laughs) drunk and stripped naked. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your sins, daughter Eden, and expose your wickedness.
0: Okay, so some nasty parts here in Lamentations 4. Um, Remember that we have, so we've seen that this is poetry and it's in... Uh, it's another 22 verses. It's in the, the style of the acrostic, where it's, it's like an alphabet poem. So if you look in the Hebrew, each verse begins with uh, one of the letters in succession of the Hebrew alphabet. Since there's 22 verses, there's 22 letters in the alphabet. So it's like if verse 1 was to start with A, verse 2 would be to start with B— verse three would start with C for our for our alphabet kind of something like that so it's kind of giving a structure remember how uh, we saw that uh, one verse per letter uh, and it compares life in the past against the siege um, so it's comparing things as, as 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 they were before and as they are now after the Babylonians have sieged uh, Jerusalem okay? So on, the, um, on your sheet here, we have look, discuss, and apply. So for look, verse 20, the Lord's anointed. Here it refers to the king of Judah. Remember how there were two kingdoms. Uh, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, was already dragged away by the Assyrians and destroyed. Um, and now the southern kingdom of Judah is being taken away by the Babylonians. So the Lord's anointed, in that sense, was—and and the king in Judah was always a descendant of David— Right and the king in the north, uh, the northern kingdom, was of a different line. Um, verse twenty one: Rejoice and be glad. These words, these words, are ironic. Apparently, by this time, some of the some of some of the the Edomites uh, had been taken into exile in Babylon. There they were rejoicing over the downfall of Jerusalem, but God would punish them also. Do you remember who the descendant who um, who the the Edomites were uh, descended from?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Nice little bit of trivia here. It actually makes a lot of sense with why they would rejoice at the downfall of Jerusalem. Who did they descend from? You'll know. Begins with an E. Jacob had a brother. Esau. Esau, that's right. Esau later was known as as Edom, right? And so all those that came from him are the Edomites. Um, and it's very interesting because... And, and I think also Moab, you know, the Moabites were descendants of Lot. And remember what happened with Lot and his daughters and things like that. And the Moabites were always against Israel. The Edomites have always been, have, have always been striving against Israel. And it's just these familial ties and the opposition to each other just kind of carries on from generation to generation. Uh, I guess, I guess um, a more modern... Parallel for us or comparison would be like the Hatfields and McCoys, you know, they just, they just have a grudge, but they can't remember what exactly started it. But we know what started it in scripture, right? We just know that these, these tribes were descended from really sinful unions from people because Esau married Canaanites, you know, he did not marry from uh, his, his family as uh, Jacob did, right? Um, with, uh, what Rachel and Leah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so because, because he takes on different wives, he takes on different gods and it's kind of the same thing with the Moabites. I mean, that was from an incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughters, which is gross to talk about, but you see that that's that, like it trickles down the line that later on they become major, major contenders, against God's people, the descendants, of, uh, the descendants of, 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 of Jacob, right? So these things carry on, and so he says, Rejoice and be glad, um, you who dwell in the land of Oz, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourselves bare, right? That, that laugh now, but you're laughing because of the downfall of God's people for the wrong reasons, yeah? and your punishment will come soon. Uh, Inherent in that is repentance, like unless you repent. But I mean, one of those things is that like uh, uh, the iniquity has been carried on for so long and chances are, you know, like we hear from the 10 commandments, right? Uh, The close of the 10 commandments that uh God says I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love and showing steadfast love and mercy to the thousandth generation of those who, who of those who 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 love me and keep my commandments so in some sense there's a hereditary judgment going on here and that's just that's that's how things work in in the Bible and even in just the world, right? The sins of the Father carry on. Um, Very cheery pictures being painted here in Lamentations again, right? Uh, So let's go through the the discuss portion. Uh, In verses 1 through 20, Jeremiah describes in graphic terms the suffering Judah and Jerusalem brought on themselves through their unbelief and rebellion. Focus on the following passages and describe the scene. So let's just go through these one by one. Um, verse one: What what's going on in verse one? Just kind of put it in 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 um, in your own words.
3: It was so bad that even gold and precious stones couldn't buy food or solve
0: any problems. Yeah, money. That, yeah, once was held in high esteem, nothing, right? It doesn't mean anything anymore. Money is worthless, and even so, there's nothing to buy, Mm -hmm. right? Because they were uh, sieged, right? So they had all supply lines cut off, and when you have a siege, I mean, that is, that's a war of attrition. Like, that is, that is a hard, like, sieges are nasty. They are nasty things. When, when uh, people are besieged on all sides, uh, I mean, that shows a certain kind of cruelty that is just uh, hard to surpass because when people don't have food, they get desperate, right? They do things that are very desperate, as we're going to see here. So verse 2, what, what is he? what kind of scene is he describing here? What's going on? Who's he describing here?
4: Children of Israel.
0: Yeah. Zion. Yeah, precisely the sons, right? The precious right. sons of Zion. Because with the son, the name is carried on, right? Uh, the With the son, the family name continues. The generations continue on in the sons. So the precious sons in Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. Right? They are so valuable. But now, what are they? If they were once like fine gold, what are they compared to now? We're just pot. Yeah, a yeah. pot, a piece of pottery. Nothing. Oh yeah, something that you that that you can break and not bat an eye over, yeah. right? Yeah. How about how about verses three through four? What's this scene? Well, they abandoned their children. Yeah. They're cruel. They're crueler than jackals. Right. Yeah. So, and and, and, and a jackal is known as, as, as a vicious predator, right? Um, it's not like a fox, right? Uh, and and even even they take care of their babies. Well, they have food to eat. That's right. Yeah. And the Israelites don't. They don't. So they're made lower than animals. In that sense, right? That the people have become heartless. They don't even want to help a starving child. I mean, as a as a father, it's 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 hard to hear that description of saying, you know, the tongue of the the tongue of the the tongue of the excuse me, the tongue of the nursing. Infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them, right? But no one gives to them. They don't even have anything to give them. I mean, uh, it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? It's just gut-wrenching. It's going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get worse. Yeah, it it does get worse, right? So what about verse 5? What scene is he painting there?
5: Well, they perish.
0: Yeah. What did they do before? It, like, what's it comparing to? Their perishing is compared to what?
5: Well, they feasted on delicacies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And they have nothing but ash heaps.
0: Yeah. They were once brought up in purple, and purple yeah. is an expense. It was an expensive right. cloth, right? Purple dye was was only for the really rich people. Uh, and, and and those who were brought up in fine clothes and ate sumptuously now starve and have nothing but ashes to wear. The elite. huh the, the elite, elite. Yeah the elite and, and, but but you know also the whole city of Jerusalem, you know it, the the saying I think is true. I think what um, JFK once said that a rising tide lifts all boats, you know when things are good all over, even even the lowest people have plenty to live off of and they live fairly comfortably. And that's kind of what was going on with Jerusalem in their heyday. But now when the tide goes down, not only like whoever whoever was at the bottom, they're I mean, they're lower than low and those and they're they're matched right there next to those who were once at the top. Yeah. So yeah, um, everybody is suffering and everybody is 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 down. Um, but the rich, but the rich specifically, are told that they have lost their status and the pleasures in life that they once had. Uh, how about how about verses six through nine? What kind of scene is that? What's going on? What's Jerusalem compared to some other city? To Solomon
4: and Gomorrah.
0: To Sodom, yeah. Um, what happened with Sodom?
4: Went up in fire.
0: Yeah, it was destroyed. But it was quick. Yeah. It was so quick. Oh yeah, quick and, and painless in some And with way, right? Jerusalem, they're just
4: suffering a very long, drawn out, Suffer. I don't know how long
0: this took. I don't yeah. know how long um, I I this I forget how long the siege lasted, but it was long enough to where they ran out of food and did some horrible things as a result of their hunger. Um, yeah, so um, basically Sodom had it easier than Jerusalem at this point, which kind of begs the question, how bad was Jerusalem if they're suffering worse than Sodom and Sodom was known for its wickedness I mean so, uh, like you go back and read in Genesis what happened with Lot and Sodom and you go that is just despicable right it is horrible and I and then and then you say but at, at least they went up in a quick flash of fire and brimstone but now Jerusalem is suffering even worse. But on some level, I guess that speaks to not only the wickedness of Jerusalem at this time, but it also does speak to the mercy of God in the same way too. And we'll get into that, but it's, it's, it's I, I, I guess I'll just mention it here. You know, we've been talking a lot, not only in this class, but in our Sunday school, you know, class on Job and on the, the penitential Psalms, that for for believers, hardship is discipline, it's chastisement, it's 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 strength, it's there to strengthen your faith. Um, that is so much better than just simply being destroyed because God just doesn't want to deal with you anymore, right? So, on some level, that strangely to us. But to God, it makes perfect sense that He's doing all this for their good, that they would be brought low so that future generations wouldn't be lost forever. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed and that was it. Whatever bloodlines were there, whatever families were there, they were done. Nothing to come from it ever again. Here, there's hope, right? Here, there's the possibility of redemption attached to it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Even yeah, I look at
3: it from the standpoint Sodom didn't know any better.
0: Oh, they knew better.
3: No, they were totally engrossed in. I mean, they didn't believe in God. They didn't. They kept rejecting Lot and whatever he was saying. Yeah. Where the the Israelites knew better. Well, but Sodom...
0: yeah. And they still had priests that were some priests that were preaching properly. Yeah. But they still wouldn't listen to them. I get your point, but I but I will say that they 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 Sodom. On some level did know better, they just didn't care. Right. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They they knew exactly that they deserved exactly what they got. Right. right? And God was giving the one a yeah. chance to repent. So on some level, um at, at at least here, and that's that's kind of a telling thing. You go back and read uh, Genesis, and when Abram, when Abraham was, is, is telling the Lord, you know, oh, for the sake of fifty, will you not destroy it? And he goes, For the sake of fifty, I won't. And he gets all the way down to ten. Can't even find ten righteous people in Sodom to not destroy that place. Yeah, That's horrible. Find three, or maybe one. Yeah, maybe one. I one mean, the only one. Yeah, well, but even so, yeah, that. Well, we can we can do a whole study on Genesis sometime, or like the patriarchs, something like that. Would be very interesting to do. But um, yeah, Sodom knew better because at least they had heard Lot talk about it, or. Something along those lines, or at one point in time they had had the truth and lost it, and they become for they had become perverse in their minds and lost in that in that way. so they knew in the end that they deserved exactly what they got. And on some level, I mean, Jerusalem at least is even more without excuse, right is even more without excuse, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh, Jerusalem has had to suffer over a long period of time. Uh, but like I said, that is, that is for their good, though. That, event- that that those who would survive would, by God's grace, be brought to repent. And their children would not, like, they'd be raised in Babylon, but at least they would be raised in the faith. Saying, don't do what we did, right? Don't do what we did, don't fall into these problems that we did, because look what happened to us. You hear about Jerusalem, but you were born in Babylon, but we always look toward Jerusalem because we hope to go back someday, you know? Um, yeah, any thoughts about that, questions? Um, let's keep going, verses seven through eight. I don't know why it goes verses six through nine and seven through eight, but that's all right. Um, maybe kind of backtracks a little bit there. Seven through eight, what kind of uh, scene is Painted there,
5: I put down bodies were wasted away.
0: Yeah, they once were beautiful, and uh, you know the was it the princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more were more 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 ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not they are not recognized in the streets, their skin is shriveled on their bones, it has become as dry wood. So yeah, their bodies are wasting away. How about verse ten? That's probably like I think the most gut-wrenching part. Verse ten, what what is what is that scene? What happened?
5: they were boiling their children and eating them.
0: Yeah. They're well, so so hungry. Mm, so desperate. So desperate mm-hmm. that they ate their own children. I mean, that's just sickening. It is yeah, it makes you want to vomit. Um, mm-hmm. and that's but that's what we talk about, you know, I've mentioned this before and I'll just mention it briefly so we can keep going. That's 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 a passion you know when when we think in the ancient sense of passions. Um, now nowadays passion is seen more as a good thing, right? It's like follow your passion because that's what makes you happy, right? But a passion in the ancient sense was something that needed to be tamed, because a passion is like hunger or lust, you know, or thirst. Have you like have you been so thirsty that you would do whatever you had to do to get water, you know, or so hungry you would steal or Hurt someone else to get some food because you were so desperate. I mean, that's what a passion is when it gets so bad that you become so desperate, you will do atrocious things to fulfill that hunger, that thirst, or that desire. And that's how bad it got. They were so hungry that they ate their own children. I mean, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. That just shows how self-centered they were. Yeah. Well, and that's sin that's our sinful flesh yeah, yeah. normally you
3: know a, a father or mother would sacrifice their life to protect the children right but in this case they become so
4: just yeah un- but unbelievably
3: I, bad that they would kill and eat their own children yeah i, I don't Can't know if they, they killed they them English. or not
4: maybe the children died and then they just decided to eat them yeah. Yeah. they boiled
0: them no, well I think they boiled well, they, they
4: boiled boil, well, I mean, well, they trial... boiled
0: them, but that means that they could have been dead before oh, that, or yeah, that but be. still, I mean, you're you're doing something that is completely against God's law. Um, that you you eat, you eat someone like to 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 eat a person is 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 just the height of uh, atrocity on some level. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's terrible, it's terrible. So, but we'll just we'll just leave it at that. During the siege, women ate their own children. Um, and you may say they they got so bad that that's that's the state where they were at. You know, um, maybe that wasn't everybody, but that was some. But at the same time, that's what that's what happens when you get so far gone into your own sinful flesh when you don't take care when when your basic needs are not met. You become like an animal, or worse than an animal. Like mankind has this capacity for being the height of God's creation. And then given the right circumstances, or should I say the horrible circumstances, they become lower than the lowest creature, you know, um, or they become like a rat that eats its young or something like that. You know, it's horrible. I mean, but that's a picture of the judgment that was on them. Um, and, and how they were dealing with it. Some probably dealt with it better than others. And some did such horrible things, um, yeah, it's like the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. Yeah, very compassionate, right? I think that reminds me of a proverb. It says like that even even the mercy of the wicked are is cruel, you know? Because they think I'm being merciful to my child, and, and I'm also helping myself and other people. It's like you're boiling your child and eating it. It's horrible. It's this height of just wretchedness. Um, ugh, anyways, let's keep going. Verse 11 through 12, what does he say there?
5: Well, he set fires.
0: Yeah, and the fire did what? Well, it
5: consumed its foundations.
0: Yeah, it just destroyed the foundations yeah. of the city. And... Uh, um Jerusalem's gates were, were just wide open to um, the enemy, right? And the kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Yeah? Like, it just couldn't happen. It can't happen here. How, yeah. how often do we hear that about our own country, right? Exactly. It can't happen here. Okay. Hmm. Okay, we'll see. We'll Sorry. see. Or, yeah, we'll see yeah so um, and then and then how about verses 13 through 16 what happened there
5: prophets and priests were discredited for their sins
0: right yeah they were they were seen as dirty and unclean yeah right they were the ones to be known as clean they were the clean ones the ceremonially clean. And now people are saying, get away from us. You're unclean. Don't touch us. Get away. Get away, right? They became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. Like, um, yeah, the priests were considered unclean and they could not find refuge amongst the nations to which they fled. Right? They had no refuge. And rightfully so, because, you, you know, of what they did. Yeah, back
3: in chapter 2, verse twenty, it says that the false prophets killed the priest in the temple. Yep. And, uh, you yeah, know, so they were killing anybody that
0: told the truth, probably ate I'm them. Sorry, too. Probably <laughs> ate them, too. Well, at least at that time, they really had the dignity to, to bury him or something, or at least yeah, burn, him or burn him or something. But yeah, um, and and then yeah, what was it? I, re- I read this morning in Matthew that Jesus is saying, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees," um, saying that you are the ones just like those who killed uh, Zechariah the son of Berechiah between um, between uh, I think like oh I forget I forget what it was, but basically killed him in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's that's. Horrible thing, um, yeah. So to kill to kill someone who is who is uh, proclaiming the word of God is is uh, I mean it's just a horrible thing, and God does not look too kindly on that. Um, so do you think maybe a,
3: you caused the volcano to erupt in Jerusalem and a pour all over
0: the people? What? fire oh people. yeah no I think I mean whenever there was a siege and the and the uh, the army that was invading had torches and, and things like that and would just come and loot and destroy yeah. loot pillage destroy everything and uh, yeah I mean it was just raised down to by that I mean you know raised in a bad way where you tear it all down to the to the foundations and even below It's horrible. Um, Yeah, no volcano.
1: That would have been neat, Uh, but
0: no volcano, I believe. Um, Okay, How, how about verses 17 through 20? Just keep pushing on here.
1: No hope.
0: Yeah, Jerusalem has lost its only hope, which is... Who is Jerusalem's only hope? God. Yeah, the Lord. He's gone. He has abandoned them. He's left them to their own devices. Because you know what? That's what they wanted the whole time. That's what they wanted the whole time, and he let them have it, and now they see what it brings them. Now the enemy pursues it At its will, yeah. Yep, you got to get what you ask for. Yeah, that's and that's Romans one, right? That he hands them over to the lusts and the desires of their own heart. Uh, They just become more and more depraved. Um, The more the more hardened they are. Uh, Verse twenty. What's going on there? So who is the Lord's anointed? Who is that referring to? The Lord's anointed. We saw that in the look portion at the top there. The priest? No, it's the king. The king's anointed. The priests are also anointed, but but the Lord's anointed, the one anointed king, what happened to him? It sounds like he was murdered and thrown in the pit. Yeah, he was he was he was captured, and he was uh, he was taken off into slavery into Babylon, right? Yeah, I mean the one whom God had made king now is a slave. Yeah, so things are not good. Things are not good in Jerusalem. What hope did God offer his beleaguered people in verse twenty two?
4: That their suffering and punishment will have an end.
0: Yes. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, um, and I think, so the exile of the people would end, the punishment would end. Um, and then, but I do, I don't know if y'all have this note in mind. There's, there's this textual note after it says, he will keep you in exile no longer. Uh, there's, there's a little note for me. It says, or he will not exile you again. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, Hebrew can sometimes be ambiguous and depending on the context you can see it one way or the other. So either so it's it's probably both that he will bring the exile to an end and that he will not do it again. You know. And we see that that actually happened. Yeah. Right? The people were never exiled again. Um because after after the exile, you know, you have you have Daniel and and you have the others uh, you have Daniel, Ezekiel, the other prophets in exile, and then, and then you have the intertestamental period, and then you have Jesus, and after Jesus, then God's people are spread throughout all the world. You know, so that is true, also, as well. Um, how about apply? Uh, what hope can we offer a person who is repentant but still experiences the unpleasant results of his or her sin? Stay steadfast, like Job. Stay steadfast, okay.
4: Be Compassionate towards them.
0: Yeah, be compassionate.
4: Listen to them. Try to understand what they're
0: doing. Chastise them. In a good way, right? (laughs) Encourage them and and give them the exhortation to trust in God, right? On some level, that is chastisement because you say, because they'll say, but I'm suffering. And you go, yes, I know. And at the same time, you trust in the one who suffered for you, right? right? And that's chastisement because it's subduing the sinful flesh that would say, "I just want to despair. I want to despair and not and 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 not have to whatever you know. I, I want to just be sad about this." And then you have to chastise them, which sounds kind of funny, right? Chastise them with the gospel and say, <coughs> "You know, Christ died for you. Yes, you suffer." But now it is for the sake of others. Right? It's not just for yourself anymore. It's for the sake of others that struggle or that are caught up in what you were once caught up in. And now you can encourage them. You can guide them. You can help them. Um, because your sin that you still have guilt over or suffer some consequences from has been forgiven. It has been forgiven. Um, and 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 yet the pain still remains, um, but that's all the more reason to exhort, you know, younger people or people who haven't experienced the pain and suffering that you have because of whatever um, shortcomings or sins you have have committed. Um, it it reminds me of um, what is it that um, I read this book? It's a little kind of a little pamphlet. It was called um, Thoughts for Young Men written by, written by um, an Anglican priest back in like the late 1800s, kind of like during the Victorian era. And um, it was really, it's really good because he talks about saying, you know, don't tell your sons that they should just go out and sow their wild oats or whatever. Keep them from those sins, because some sins, when the wound heals, the scar runs deep and still hurts, and save them from that by telling them this truth, right? Don't just say, oh, it's no big deal, just just let them go, they'll come back, and you go, do all you can to keep them from going in the first place, because you do not want them to have to suffer, and give, I I mean... God forgives those things, but don't just go out seeking to sin so that God can forgive you. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul talks about in mm-hmm. Romans, right? Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? By no means, right? So do all that you can to exhort. And then to, you know that's not just that one sin, but other things. If you have, have had shortcomings or sins that you knowingly did or not knowingly, do your best with the younger generations to say, don't do that. It's painful trust me. You can come out on the other side of it, but don't tempt God, right? Just don't do it. It's not worth the trouble, yeah? Um, And so that kind of gives you some purpose in your suffering as well, that you say, I'm, you know, I struggled with this, and, and, and instead of struggling by myself, I need to know that I'm forgiven, that I have God's grace, and now I can share that with other people so that they don't and I can warn them and so that they don't fall into the same trap and that they hopefully are spared of that horrible pain. Yeah. Any thoughts on that before we before we move on to chapter five? What do y'all think? Yeah? Good stuff? Okay. (laughs) Lamentations 5. Who wants to read Lamentations 5 for us?
5: Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become... Orphans, fatherless, our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to groin at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Okay. Uh, well, that ends
0: makes... on quite a note, doesn't it? Yes. Very um, sad. Yeah, so, and remember that we saw at the very beginning here that chapter five, um, it's a communal prayer for God's mercy. Um, it's 22 verses, but the alphabet pattern is gone. So in some sense, all this structure that had been there at the beginning to give some sort of rhyme and reason to the pain and suffering, it's gone. And there's nothing but just this pouring out of pain and suffering and, you know, no structure, chaos, all this stuff going on. And then it ends on a note, you know, that is very bleak. Uh, thankfully, the Bible doesn't end there, right? That we actually have more to it than that, and so the th- thankfully, the rest of the Bible informs the you know all the questions and the and and the issues in this last chapter and in this book as a whole. So we see on our sheets here for look uh, for the look portion, the book of Lamentations is like a mountain rising out of a dark and dreary swamp. In chapter 1, we had scarcely climbed out of the swamp, but were on our way to the top. In the middle of chapter 3, we arrived at the top of the mountain where we saw, in hope, the future mercies of the Lord. But in chapter 4, we were heading down the mountain once more, with only a little hope expressed at the end of the chapter. But now, in chapter 5, we are once again close to the dark and dreary swamp. But remember we like to end our books at the end. Um, the Hebrew writer often, of, often, often, ended in, that. Uh, excuse me. The Hebrew writer often um, ended them in the, in, in the middle. The way Chapter Five ends is not how the story will end. It will end with the hope and confidence expressed in Chapter Three. Right? So uh, discuss. Verses one through eighteen contain another off. Uh, contain another <coughs> woeful description of Jerusalem following its fall to the Babylonians. Yet there is a note of hope in verse one. Can you find it? Remember. Yeah. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Um, Jeremiah is asking the Lord to remember everything that has happened to Jerusalem. By remembering these tragedies, perhaps the Lord will relent and bless his people.
3: <coughs> yeah. yeah, this chapter 5 is just Jeremiah's prayer. It's not the people of Israel. How is it not? Well, because he's I mean, just <coughs> going through what they should have done and and all of that, and trying to grant them, give them a little hope if they return to the Lord and the Lord's promises. But to me, I still don't think the people of Israel, all they're just still lamenting is to
0: all the catastrophe they have, mm-hmm. and they still aren't repentant. Okay. At least, I, I, I believe that there were some that were and some that weren't for sure. Some probably would join in with him in this prayer if they heard it, right? Uh, He's—I think he's giving. It so seems God like he a remnant. It, that's right. Yeah, it seems like he's giving voice to the remnant and yes. their prayer. And so, the people that have been brought into exile that are the remnant will hear this and say, "Amen," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Jeremiah's prayer on behalf of the people. I would yeah, I would I would I would agree with that for sure. But yeah, there's still there's still like little glimmers of hope here. Which is you know, when you're in the midst of this kind of despair, you hold on to whatever you can hold on to. Well the faithless always have hope. I mean the faithful always. And the faithful always have hope. have hope, yeah. Yeah, you always have hope in the midst of despair. And like I keep saying, a biblical lament is never without hope. Right? It's never just a wallowing in the muck and saying, woe is me, everything is terrible, and it's never going to get better. There's always the confession that God has made great promises that he will fulfill, and that you hold on to those things. Right? Um, how about number two? What painful losses had the people endured? Verses
3: two through three. They They're back in Egypt. <laughs> same same yeah. thing that happened to them in Egypt. That's true. They became slaves and yeah. and were ill-fed and in poor health, and many died from overwork. and.
0: Yep, yep. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. Uh, yeah. They've lost everything. Everything's gone. Homes, land, family... It's all gone. Um, So what were some of the oppressive conditions these people now faced? Verses four through six and then verse 10. What do they have to do?
5: They have to pay for everything.
0: Yeah. There's shortages, right? Because usually water... Was something that you just had on your land, you know. You dug a well and you just got water. You go to the well and get water, and you have to pay for it. And the wood would come from your own land. You'd cut down your own trees and do what you had to do, right? Yeah. Uh, but now there's nothing. They have to buy everything. They're, you know, they they have to, um, scrimp and save and scrounge for the basics. Yeah. Well, they have. They have no money or anything, so everything they want, they have to work
3: for. That's right. Yeah. As slave wages. Right. Which yeah. is, you work 10 hours, I'll give you a cup of water.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you enough to live another day to work. Right. Yeah. Just subsistence. That's right. So they had become slaves to the Babylonians and were continually harassed by them, too, right? Yeah, um, yeah if they didn't work hard enough, they probably got killed. Yeah, I mean, the Babylonians were brutal. I mean, remember what happened with uh, Daniel in Babylon, where Daniel and uh, the other three uh, young men, they were brought into the king's court, and they were told, you have to eat these foods, and the meats were sacrificed to their false false gods. And Daniel and the other three guys said, "We, we can't do that. And the steward said, if you don't do this, not only, not only will you die, I will die. He will kill me, too. They're ruthless. Um, and, of course, that whole the moral of that whole story is not that a purely vegetable diet will help you. Uh, it's that the miracle was that Daniel and the other three men didn't waste away by eating just just vegetables. Because your body needs the other stuff, too, right? I mean... Uh yeah. This is a a thing about diets, but I just want to throw that little thing in there, but that the ruthlessness of the Babylonians was that they would just kill you on the spot. It, 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 it doesn't matter to them. You know? Like we saw before, the the precious men, the precious sons who were worth their weight in gold, oh, they're just like pieces of pottery. You just toss it, no big deal. You break one, there's another one right down the line. It's okay. It's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, how about number four? What important admission does the prophet, does the prophet speak in verse 16? They had sinned.
5: Yeah, they have sinned.
0: Yeah, woe to us for we have, have sinned. sinned. Yeah. The prophet admits that Jerusalem and Judah had lost their glory and that they are suffering because of their sin. It's plain as day. Yeah. Uh, what fervent plea does the prophet make at the end of these laments? Verses 21 to 22.
5: Well, they're asking the Lord to be restored as,
0: as the old days. Yeah. Restore us to yourself, O oh yeah. Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Yeah. Right? Right. The prophet fervently pleased that God would renew the people and restore them to his, 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 his favor. Yeah. You got to love that last part, though, <laughs> unless That's you nice. have utterly rejected yeah. us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. Or as we might say in a prayer service, right? Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So at at the end of the lament, the prophet is as low in his sorrow as he can go. Explain.
3: Nothing worse than God's rejection. Yeah.
0: It's
5: horrible. Sins of the people. It's a cause for their suffering. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just this thought, you know, that, that earlier he had, he had never said that word. He had never said, unless there was always something to hold on to. And now he's saying, unless you just don't have any compassion left, right? And it's the lowest, it's the lowest point that he can go because he's expressing that he's struggling with the lack of hope. Yeah? That he's saying, restore us, O Lord, unless you just are done with us and we're just gonna be gone forever. He probably remembered the exodus when God
3: said none of the children of Israel will enter into the promised land.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have rebelled and grumbled against the Lord, that you will not see the promised land. You will die in the wilderness, but your children will inherit the promised land. Yeah, maybe that was something he had on he had on his mind. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that before we get to the apply portion? Try not to stay too long in this one. <laughs> too long in the the wallowing here. But if you'll have anything. Okay, um, <clears throat> uh, so apply. Have you ever felt that God's, that, that God's mercies had come to an end in your case? Were you right to think that way? So let's mm-hmm. begin with that first question. Has there been, a, and you don't have to go into specifics, but has there ever been a time where you felt that God's grace and his compassion had come to an end for you? Yeah, when I was 20
2: through 26.
3: You You're 20 through 26. Yeah, that's a tough time. Yeah, my oldest brother died. My dad died. Well, that makes it even harder. My brother that was yeah. 10 years older than I was died. Wow, really? Wow. Lord have mercy. That's... Yeah, all young. Yeah. 38, 39, and 64. Wow. Wow. It makes you wonder.
0: Yeah. But I still have my mother... That's good. So the so that was a time for you when you just felt like God didn't have any compassion on you and abandoned you? Yeah. Anybody else? You you can just say, yes, I felt that way or no, I haven't. And...
1: Regardless of how low I may feel, I know the Lord loves me and will take care of me. Mm-hmm. That's good. Good. Good.
5: I feel the same way. I mean, I've had some tragedies in my life, but I always felt God was there Mm -hmm. helping me to get through
1: it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he's watched out for me so well (laughs) over my lifetime. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, he's had a plan for me, and he still does. Hope is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess anybody else want to say anything about their own lives and whether or not they felt that God had abandoned them or not?
4: Well, I know when I went through my divorce and I had two young kids, I felt pretty abandoned. But my parents were there to help pick me up. And... Um, and I met this wonderful man here, <laughs> so you know that that was that that was pretty devastating, you know, for your husband to walk out on you and two little yeah. kids. That's the Lord, so Lord, Jack, or... Yeah, yeah, and then when we moved here, <laughs> I thought that's what the Lord wanted, but it's been a rough
0: 10 years. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you do uh, like me, you've been. No, I'm thankful that I have all of you guys. Tim has made this 10 years really horrible for you. (laughs) I'm
4: thankful I have all of you guys, but the home home situation with our daughter and our son-in-law has not been very favorable. I'm sorry. He... Brought me through that too, and we're we're still dealing with
0: it, but we're, it's getting better. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure.
4: we have hope every day. Yes, the so mercies are new every morning. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and and you know that 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 just goes to show you. I think that well, and and before we get into this whole thing of like, were you right to think that way? You know, were you right to think that God had not abandoned you, or were you right to think that? God had abandoned you. I mean, uh, overall, you know, um, we need to see that Jeremiah gives us, you know, God, God gives us the words of Jeremiah that, you know, God speaks through him here to show us that, you know, if, if we're in a spot where we say we're at the lowest point, but I still know that God loves me. That's great. There may be somebody else, though, who's at the lowest point saying, God doesn't love me. Otherwise, why would he let this happen to mm-hmm. me? And, and, and so either way, there needs to be this understanding that there's room for that complaint to be voiced by both sides. Right. For one side to say, God, you have you brought me to this point and I'm going to trust in you to get me out of it. And the other one to say, God, you brought me to this point how long are you just going to abandon me like this, right? There's room for both of those, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That uh, Jeremiah, I mean, he's talking like a normal Christian who, for example, has spent years in a lonely (coughs) prison cell for his faith uh, and his talk, right? His talk of what God gave him to say. So his human reason would dictate that God's time of grace for him was over, right? It's natural for our sinful flesh to say, Well, that's it. That's all there is to it. God's, God's done with me. Um But God's word is clear though. God's compassion is new every God's compassion is new, new <clears throat> excuse me. God's compassion is new every every excuse me, every um, morning. His mercy is always greater than his anger or his wrath. Um, So that's something to hold on to. Um, It's not anything that we need to stay in for too long. Um, So Satan is going to try and get us to despair. He's going to try and get us to... Stay in the muck and cry out, woe is me, forever. And in some sense to say, you know, Satan Satan wants us to despair and say, well, God brought me here. I'm just going to leave him alone and I'm going to go my own way. And in that sense, you wind up going back on the pendulum towards pride, right? And, and either way, it's it's, it's not good. So um, we need to be careful not to wallow too much in despair to the point where we start saying, well, God doesn't love me, so why should I bother? Um, And if you are one of those people who isn't a low point and and you say, I always know that God is there with me, and you know somebody else is not in your camp saying, I know God is with me, then you need to reach out to them. And say, you know, God is still with you. And that's the beauty of the, the word that's outside of us that comes in, right? We've talked about this a lot before, where we get so caught up in ourselves and in our own condition of, of sin that we say, you know, that 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 we say certain things that we ought not say according to the flesh. And then someone speaks the word of God, and that breaks into us and says, You need to look outside of yourself. You need to look at what God says. You need to look at his promises. And you need, now that we have, as Christians, the promise fulfilled in Christ, we say, You need to look at the cross and you need to look at what Jesus has done for you. Know that you are forgiven. Know that you are his child and that this is for your good, ultimately. And if you hold on to him, in the end, all will be made clear. And that's a hard thing to say to someone in the midst of suffering, but that's what we're given to say. And that's the greatest hope we can ever give to anybody, right? Yes, truly.
1: Well... I've read the Bible through and through many times, but this last year when I read it through all the sins that the people committed, God's chosen ones, and he destroyed, he He killed, he He had them suffer, but he still loved them through eventually Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But through all that time, all the, the suffering and all that we did and still do to him, to yeah. anger him, yeah, he gave us Christ,
0: yeah,
1: and it's just in the Word, and uh-huh. all you have to do is
0: study it, read it, yeah, it's true, mm-hmm. and and that kind of brings me to. <laughs> Something else, real quick, and maybe, maybe in a whole other can of worms. Maybe, maybe we can do a whole study on the issue of the issue of like love and hate, right? How God loves us, and how hate is also part of that love. Strangely enough, that they're two sides of the same coin. <clears throat> where you know um, God loves us so much as His creation that He hates. The sin that we do, and He hates the sinful flesh that pulls us away from Him, and yet He does all these things to kill that thing which He hates so that that which He loves can flourish. It's, it's just, it's a hard thing to reconcile because most of the time people want to just think about God is, God is love, God is love, God is love, and you say, well, what about the other side of things? What's He going to do about those that aren't doing His will? What is what's He going to do about those who sin and who clearly oppress him or his his people and his word. And all I was like, what do you think about them? Well, he loves them too. It's like, yeah, but what's he going to do to them? You know, and it's just like, what's going to happen? And, and, and you say, well, someday his love and his hate, like perf- there's such a thing as perfect love and perfect hatred that and they both go hand in hand. And that sounds really strange to us. I'm still reconciling myself with it. But um, there are those who would speak slander and falsehoods and things like that. And yes, God loves them in the sense that he died for them. You know, he sent his son to die for them. And yet he still hates the things they do. And he hates them on some level because of what they're doing. And he meets out that hatred so that they might repent. And he might love them. It's, It's this whole, it's all mixed up together. It's not easily divided and mutually exclusive love and hate they're all they all go together and that's kind of shown here in Jerusalem with lamentations that God loves his people so much that he meets out his hatred on them he abandons them for the sake of them repenting and turning and trusting in him because he loves them isn't that crazy <laughs> Isn't that crazy how that happens? Yeah. I don't know. I think birth of children, we kind of see it more. Yeah, with the, the children. Daughter. Yeah. 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 I mean, no. You love your children. Absolutely. Death, but, yeah. But
1: you can hate a lot of what they do. Absolutely. Exactly. That's right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for their sake, you discipline them, right? And you, you try.
1: Well, if they're little,
4: you, can can't being, you can't. If they're big, you can't. Right. It's true. Yeah. There's
1: no way. Nope.
0: Well, even even though your children will be, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes, I, uh, uh, you know, you see, you see stuff like in the old days where if like there was a rebellious son, and he was so wild and crazy that the father, after so many times of trying to reach out to him or whatever, he just finally says, I disown you. You're not my son anymore. You can go and do whatever you want, but you're not going to get me. And that sometimes was like a death sentence on some level and hopes that they would repent. Right? Um, sometimes that's what you got to do with your kids at a certain point is just say, you know I've done all I can to reach out to you and, and, and or to discipline and all this stuff and now I'm not going to be party to it anymore on some level right and that's a hard call
1: and that's a sorrowful call It's awful you know? uh-huh. Is't that but awful to have to, to
0: a do child that child
1: or a grandchild or absolutely it's, yeah
0: it's hard to yeah it's not something you want to do sometimes it's something you have to do but if you don't the results are
3: really bad. If you don't, what? You don't. Turn, turn your way, turn, you, turn them away from you. Reject them. If you just let them continue on in their sin and their
0: transgressions, you're paying to get yeah. worse
3: until it, there's no recovery.
0: And on some of you, you're paying credence to what they're doing and right. saying, that's okay. You can keep I'll, you know, like, as if I, I don't know. I think, I think modern-day understanding of tolerance is a sin, if you ask me. You just say, like, I'm going to tolerate and tolerate and tolerate and tolerate. You just keep on doing all these horrible, sinful things. I'm just going to tolerate and tolerate. And it's just like, I think it was Pastor Wolfmuller that, that, like, really turned a light bulb on in my head about this. He said, when did we stop talking about things we tolerate? Like, used to, we would only talk about tolerance about things we hate. You know, and now it's like somehow tolerance has weirdly shifted in the sense of love and you go, no, you tolerate the things you that are bad. You don't tolerate the things you love or the things that are let's just say good. You don't tolerate good things. You tolerate bad things. And at some point you just have to say no more. Not going to do it anymore. Um, And that takes wisdom to know when to pull that trigger. But sometimes you just have to say, all right, for your eternal sake, for your eternal soul, I'm going to turn you away. And Paul talks about that uh, in Acts and and in, other, uh, and in some of his um, writings in the New Testament where he says, "I had to turn them over to Satan so that they might repent. Just turn them over and say, I, I've tried. Your blood be on your own heads. And that's it. Um, in hopes that they would turn and say, "Forgive me," and you say, "All right, I forgive you," nope. <laughs> and that's how it's supposed to work. It's like, "No, you did something so bad. No, I forgive you because you've seen what it is to live in that horror of sin." Yeah, it's it works, work. huh? It works sometimes. Most of the time, sometimes. Yeah. Well, if yeah. They, if they have a good Christian background, it depends, yeah, right? Yeah. Praying for yeah, of course. You pray for <clears> them. <throat> you pray for them. You hope for the best for them because God wants the best. And in, but in the end, on some level, you commend them over to the Lord, to the hands of God and say, "I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore." Yep. You know. Um. So, all in all, Lamentations is a good book to revisit from time to time when you're in the midst of struggling and sorrow, knowing that ultimately there is hope. Ultimately, God's promises are worth holding on to. Ultimately, um, he does not abandon you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Um, And to know that all things work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to to his... His purpose, right? Any last thoughts or questions about anything? didn't do too bad on time. Huh? It's not even noon yet. That's a good thing. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, well, any other takers? Anything you want to throw out there? Lamentations. No.
4: It was very depressing. Yeah, it is depressing. No <laughs>
0: It's. If it wasn't for the rest of the world. It's yeah. It's a wake up call, I guess it you could is, say too. Yeah. Right? You know, you you. It's we need like something happy,
1: right?
0: Like what you always say, tough right? huh? <laughs> love. Like oh, well, yeah. That's right. Okay, you want something happy? Can I can end this on, on a good note? Um, all the wrath that you deserve, (laughs) all the wrath that you deserve, all the anger for God's sin is all met out on Jesus. That he who knew no sin became sin uh, so that you might live, right? So that you would live when you trust in him and when you see what he has done for you in pouring out his blood on the cross and his soul on the cross so that you would not have to face the separation that he faced on the cross from God. So that's a bright spot right there, um, that all the wrath that you deserve is now borne out on Christ and he takes that sin to the grave and it stays there. And he rises on the third day so that you would have eternal life with him, right? How's that for happy? That's it. <laughs> Thank you for happy. Yes. <laughs> all right. That is good all deal. True. Good, good. All right. righty. Um, one more thought. Yes, please.
2: Uh, you know, you, you mentioned passion. Yeah. Yeah, the passions. From, yeah. The,
0: Talking about hunger and thirst. Yeah. Their yeah. Babies. Yeah. And there's a time Gosh Paul, we just ended on a good note. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I know it, but but
2: there's a, a well, I've heard passion described as fire in the belly. Uh-huh. And I was wondering where that came from. Yeah, I don't fire know. Fire in the belly. I mean I guess, I guess that's still
0: that's that's still a tie from the old understanding of it that that, that you have this desire that's in you. To go and do something, I guess that's how they connect it. Saying you know, you have a desire to it comes from the Old Testament. whatever, huh? It comes I mean, you know, when when
2: you were talking about passion and their hunger, well, and, and, and plus there's also
0: plus plus we also talk about the passion of the Christ, you know, yeah. that Jesus's passion that also like passion also means to suffer, right? right. So it's kind of a it's kind of an all encompassing term of suffering and hunger and thirst and desire that is unmet, right? Um, and it's this suffering that really, again, also is all laid on Jesus too. So, um, I mean, because how, how tempted might Jesus have been on the cross when they kept saying, uh, you know, call down the angels and they will save you. And he just, and and the thought came into his head, you know, I could, but I'm not going to, you know, and that was the suffering that he endured. Um, Fire in the belly, though. I mean, I I think, yeah, I think that's like this burning because it does consume you, Mm -hmm. right? It does consume you, um, that your hunger can consume you, your thirst, your lust, you know, whatever, your basic needs, they can consume you if they're not met. So, yeah, hope that helps. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus died for you, amen Uh, (laughs) alright we can talk more about this after Uh, how about about let's go ahead and close uh, with the Lord's prayer so taught by our Lord and trusting in his His promises we are bold to pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven